What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Stop! What is your name? It is Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What? Is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? African or European swallow? Huh? I, I don't know that. Who do you know? So much about swallows. Well, you have to know these things when you're a king, you know. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of pop. And here we go. Crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. We're trying to reconcile how Benghazi was not safe. What a show we've got tonight. Of investigation to go, but it was safe enough to leave a below-spec facility for our diplomats to stay in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon, live and direct right here on the SHR Media Network in the sumptuous and palatial SHR Media Studios, which are not 3,000 degrees. And we did not hold hot yoga in here tonight because during the day it was about a high of 88 degrees or so. Oh, jeez. Tell you what, though, you got to belly up to the bar. We kept your seat. I'm sure you did. And it's great to see you back. Blaine. Is going to be your bartender tonight. He pours with the best of them, and the lava lamp is not lighted because I still haven't found a light for it. However, I can say this. You can listen and engage in the chat room at shrmedia.com. You can watch on the SHR Media Facebook Live page or the SHR Media YouTube channel. We don't water our drinks here just like we don't water our conversation. Politics, religion, crime, culture, economics, race, sex, science, law. We talk about it all here at the saloon. Nothing is sacred. The speech is free, but the booze is not. All we ask is that you flush the toilet, jiggle the handle, don't forget to tip your waitress. Now, the show is broken down into two segments, two major segments tonight. The first hour, we're going to feature Tarzana Joe. He's the Poet Laureate at the Hugh Hewitt Radio Show. He's going to be in here, drop in about 8.15 or so. In the second hour, I'm sure you would be shocked to think that BZ is going to talk about something that happened today. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And is that ever true? today in the United States of America and what a what a sad state of affairs it is today 
The uh, report came out, the Inspector General report came out. A whole bunch of revelations were made there. First, I'd like to say hello to Mary Brockman in chat and Mike in chat. Welcome. Good to see you guys here. I hope a whole bunch of uh, people show up. And uh, so, let's see. First hour, Tarzana Joe. I've got him calling in. Uh, You're going to really enjoy him. He's on the Hugh Hewitt Show every Friday. And he regales Hugh with a poem. And by the way, he'll write poems for you, too. You can commission uh, Tarzana Joe to write poems just for you. What a wonderful thing that might be. You know, in case you need something for, I don't know, a birthday that you may have forgotten about anniversary uh valentine's day i think you know where i'm going with this Uh, in any event um one thing that i i want to emphasize that all of the things that are coming out these days and by the way for those who listened to uh sackheads against tyranny last night thank you very much for doing that we had a one-off special for sackhead sean And uh, he came in and was able to stay for the entire two hours last night. We were just happy as hell to have him. Uh, We can't say when he'll ever be back. Yesterday was his birthday, and he just had to happen to have some spare time. So thank you to him for coming in. What I was going to get to was, and I'll be emphasizing this continually until November, is get out and vote. Get out and vote get out and vote there was something that came out uh monday and it was about uh, a member of the brett bear panel on fox news and the man's name is charles krauthammer now charles krauthammer happens to be a 68 year old columnist he's a journalist he's a scholar he's the author of things that matter a copy of which i have uh, like I say, he's that Fox News panelist on the Brett Bear show. He's a correspondent. He's a Harvard Medical School graduate, a board-certified psychiatrist. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner, a man who is fluent in French and Hebrew. And we discovered earlier this week that he just may have only a few weeks to live. Um, he came out with a letter that indicated this. Uh, And I believe, uh, yeah, that's right. It was on June 6th uh, or 8th. I have been uncharacteristically silent these past 10 months. I thought that silence would soon be coming to an end, but I'm afraid I must tell you that the fate has decided on a much different course for me. In August of last year, I underwent surgery to remove a cancerous tumor in my abdomen. That operation was thought to have been a success, but it caused a, a cascade of events and of secondary complications, which I've been fighting in hospital ever since. It was a long and hard fight with many setbacks, but I was steadily, if slowly, overcoming each obstacle along the way and gradually making my way back to health. However, recent tests have revealed that the cancer has returned. There was no sign of it recently, uh, as recent as a month ago, and it means it is very aggressive and spreading rapidly. My doctors tell me their best estimate is that I have only a few weeks left to live. This is the final verdict. My fight is over. I wish to thank my doctors and caregivers. Those efforts have been magnificent. My dear friends who have given me a lifetime of memories and whose support has sustained me through these difficult months and all of my partners at the Washington Post, Fox News, and Crown Publishing. 
I thank my colleagues, my readers, and my viewers who have made my career possible and given consequence to my life's work. I believe that the pursuit of truth and right ideas through honest debate and rigorous argument is a noble undertaking. I'm grateful to have played a small role in the conversations that have helped guide this extraordinary nation's destiny. I leave this life with no regrets. It was a wonderful life, full and complete, with the great loves and great endeavors that make it worth living. I'm sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that was intended. By now you've heard the crushing news about our colleague and dear friend Charles Krauthammer. I have only a few weeks left to live, Charles wrote in one of his final letters. This is the final verdict. My fight is over. Well, over the coming days, Charles will be celebrated and ultimately eulogized by those who knew him. For generations, he will continue to touch and guide those who didn't know him. His words, clear and crisp and true, will long outlive him. A lot will be said about Charles Krauthammer. I'd like to add just one thing. Over the more than 20 years that I knew him, Charles thought about death every day. He told me that once. If that sounds morose, it was just the opposite. Because he was one of those rare people with the courage to look reality squarely in the face, Charles radiated a calm cheerfulness. He knew what was coming. He'd been very close to it before. He didn't want to leave, but it didn't scare him. Charles Krauthammer is a genuinely brave man. For that reason, he is a happy man. I live the life that I intended, he wrote, and there is no higher achievement than that. Good night. Have a great weekend. And so it goes with Charles Krauthammer. I... Uh... One of the things that I have to say about him, and if you don't know who he is, I am sorry for you. He was a wonderful man, a wonderful... I'm talking in the past tense, he's still here. He is a wonderful man, a wonderful human being. He wrote a fabulous book, Things That Matter. And I say that Charles Krauthammer matters. What I didn't know about him until a couple of years ago, and I always wondered why he seemed a little bit stilted, when he was on various Fox News shows or made other appearances. What I didn't know is that he had a diving board accident in his uh, late teens. And as a result of that, he was uh, basically crippled, I think, from the C5 vertebra on down. Uh, he gradually got back to the point where he could maneuver a wheelchair and he had partial use of both of his arms uh, to the point where he could control a wheelchair and where he, he had the ability and the freedom to be able. He had a van, which he could drive up into and then drive. One of the little things that people don't like to say about uh, Charles Krauthammer is, or they kept it rather secret, is you never get in the van with Charles Krauthammer because he likes to drive too damn fast which I find very, very interesting. In any event, a great guy. You got to read his book. Um, and and we'll, be, we'll be worse off without him. Uh, we really will. Now we got about uh, four, three, four minutes before uh, Tarzana Joe calls in. And I want to go back to emphasizing something about November. You can see with all of the revelations, and I'll get into the ones that occurred today, not in this hour, but in the second hour. But I want to emphasize to everyone that this is absolutely 
a critical year. It's a critical year if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, if you're an independent, if you're a libertarian, if you're basically anything except a leftist or a registered Democrat or any of the other various progressives and leftists out there. It's an absolutely critical year. Your primaries, uh, November is coming up. If you have any runoffs, uh, show up to vote because we're discovering each and every day there are more and more abrogations that are occurring and leftists, progressives, Democrats, the American media maggots, they exist to remove your freedoms and your liberties. Now I'm going to mention a few names and if these people happen to be in your state, I want to make you aware of them. There are 10 anti-gun Democrat senators that are up for re-election. And I'm going to name names. And they all need to be fired. All of them. Uh, He needs Donald Trump, President Trump, the guy with the dead orange cat on his head. He needs reinforcements in the Senate. And he has a massive opportunity, just as he is replacing uh, second-tier jurists below SCOTUS at an unprecedented rate, and also with the appointment of... uh, of Neil Gorsuch and the approval of Neil Gorsuch sitting on SCOTUS, he has a huge opportunity now to replace obstructionist liberals and leftists with Republicans. And also, if you have obstructionist Republicans, well, hell, you ought to consider putting someone else in, another Republican, another conservative. So these are the top 10 Democrat senators that are up for re-election this year in states that Trump claimed victory in during the the 2016 election. And he'll potentially be able to counter uh, establishment Republicans uh, with small government conservatives. So these are the names of the people, depending on whether they're in your state or not, you got to vote them out. Debbie Stabenow of Michigan. Bob Casey Jr. of Pennsylvania, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Joe Manchin, M-A-N-C-H-I-N, not M-A-N-S-I-O-N, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Bill Nelson in Florida, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, John Tester in Montana, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, and Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. You got to get those people out and got to pull them out by the roots. I'll be going over uh, during our time here uh, until November. I will be going over those names and any other names that happen to pass in front of my eyes up until that point. This is a critical year. And it's a critical time. Um, Oh, hey, guess what? We have someone uh, calling in. And let's see if we can hear them. Uh, Do I happen to have uh, Tarzana Joe on the line? This is Tarzana Joe in Tarzana, California, coming to you directly from the West Coast. Out darn standing. Okay, I... uh, (laughs) Before we go, I I wanted... I figured it was time to craft uh, perhaps a new introduction for you, Tarzana Joe. Oh, I prefer so- uh, Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus as my introduction. 
<laughs> yeah, but I'd, I'd have to pay money for that, doggone oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. And, and I, I, I don't have the kind of money to pay for that. So we're going we're gonna to go this way. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we have the distinct and illustrious pleasure of introducing an act we've known for all these years. And he is the one and only Tarzana Joe, live and direct from the Hugh Hewitt Show, and a veteran, he is a veteran of stage, screen, Hollywood, and glitzy showbiz with sparkles. Now, you'd think that with a name like Tarzana Joe, he'd both live in Tarzana, Fornicalia, and hit his name would be Joe. Well, sadly, you'd be wrong on both counts. Tarzana Joe actually lives in Hemet, and his name is Theodore. Now, Hemet is a town, you see, where people live who apparently cannot pronounce the, the letter L. And so that having been said, you'd certainly agree, I'm sure, everyone listening right now, that Tarzana Joe is infinitely more catchy than Hemet Theodore. So, hence, that's how he got the name of Tarzana Joe. Now, a little bit about Tarzana Joe. His Facebook page indicates that uh, Tarzana Joe is one of the, the few poets in America whose work is broadcast weekly on nationally syndicated radio. He is fondly referred to as the Poet Laureate of the Hugh Hewitt Show. And some even go so far as to suggest that Tarzana Joe is the most widely heard poet in all of America. And I'd submit that's quite the truth. And that's, that's where I first heard Tarzana Joe, who traditionally has a Friday segment right there on the Hugh Hewitt radio show, where Joe gets to reveal his poetic splendor on the topics and uh, the various issues of the day. And also, I should care to point out on uh, Twitter, Tarzana Joe writes that he is a poet for hire, a writer for hire, and a wit for hire, half off. Meaning, folks, you can, com- you can commission Tarzana Joe to write poems just for you. And not just that haughty Hugh Hewitt, okay? I I want to emphasize that. And I should also care to point out that Joe is an author as well. Now, he has published a book entitled It Only Hurts When I Rhyme in 2013. And I discovered I had to dig far and wide to find this because there's not a lot of background on on, uh, Tarzana Joe on the internet, but I discovered that... It's all buried, it's buried in Hemet, in the archives of Hemet. Apparently, and they're long and they're deep. Apparently you attended Regis High School, which was an all-scholarship Jesuit uh, institution in New York City. You won a Carswell scholarship to Wake Forest University and uh, graduated. There was a Chicago Bear who graduated from Wake Forest. And I can't think of his name. Yes! Bingo! Brian Piccolo uh, of uh, the story Brian's Song. Uh, thank you. And uh, also, Tarzana Joe grad- graduated. But, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go Norm, ahead, sir. Norm, Norm Sneed also graduated from Wake Forest. Did he? And Arnold Palmer was a distinguished Wake Forester. So just that, so that it's not just the three of us. Well, you're the two of us. You're it's in the four of us. You're in great. You're in great company there. <laughs> uh, you graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in English and theater, and you had a play. Uh, Joe had a play called Blue Laws. It was nominated uh, for an L.A. Ovation Award as Best New Play in all of Los Angeles in 1995. And you also co-wrote the screenplay for The Pickets, which was accepted in the Los Angeles International Short Film Festival in 2003. Now, folks, see, I told you that Jersey Joe was in showbiz. So, let's... <laughs> you must have had a FISA warrant on me or something. <laughs> you got it. 
everything that I've, I did. I dug deep for all this you stuff. Overlooked my shoe size, and, uh, and <laughs> that's right. And some and other peccadillos that which I'm grateful that you didn't share with r- the, right. And with the audience. I forgot long walks on the beach, but I was going to let you go there at this point. So, folks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, let's welcome Jersey Joe. Uh, to the Berserk Bobcat Saloon. So, good evening, sir. And I, I want to thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, luckily, oh, because... I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. You live on the left coast, just like me, and so I'm very glad that you didn't have to stay up uh, stul- too terribly stultifyingly late. Now, as opposed to Hemet, you actually do live in Tarzana, California, and a lot of the listeners here are from the East Coast. And now Tarzana is west. Let me give you, maybe I can set this up a little bit uh, so that you, you folks can see basically where he lives. Now, Tarzana is west of Los Angeles. It's east, uh, east of this little town called Calabasas, and it's just north of the Topanga State Park and the Pacific Ocean. So you're not too terribly far from the Pacific. And the 101 runs right through your town, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is that, that is, fairly accurate? That, that is correct. And Tarzana does have an interesting uh, history. It is in the San Fernando Valley, which is arguably the world's uh, largest suburb. And it was really? land purchased by Edgar Rice Burroughs, the author of Tarzana, of Tarzan. Oh! Uh, uh, purchased with the proceeds of, uh, of his various early writings, including uh, Jack John... Ah! Can't make John Reed. You know, it's the guy who goes to Mars and, and makes a mess of things oh, on Mars. Oh, John anyway, Carter, he made right. a lot of money, and he, he basically bought all the, John Carter bought, bought the uh, real estate uh, in the San Fernando Valley. And, uh, Holy uh, crap. I, I was uh, uh, privileged enough to meet his great-grandson, who uh, sold off the last of the acreage a few years ago. And uh, that's why we are Tarzana. Yes, it, uh, it really is. Uh, named after uh, the uh, one of the towns named after a fictional character, and now I find that I myself am named after a fictional character. <laughs> now you referred to me as Jersey Joe uh, uh, earlier on, and you did not know how right you were because after oh. my uh, life on the East Coast, okay, I did spend some time uh, in uh, the great state, the Garden State of uh, New Jersey, in a little town called Edgewater, right uh, right across Edgewater. the Hudson River. Okay. And it is the town that time forgot. It, it, it used to be uh, <laughs> the town with more bars per capita in America because they had these big plants there. Back when when America was great, you know, when the people were working in the factories. Anyhow, they had a Ford plant, an Alcoa plant, and a coffee plant. And people went in for eight hours, they slept for eight hours, and they spent the other eight hours in the bars of Edgewater. <laughs> so it was a great place to, a great place to live. And uh, and you could see uh, from my upstairs uh, bedroom window all the way from the Statue of Liberty to the uh, George Washington Bridge. Why I moved, I don't know. But it 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 was uh, an area that would be affected. And people said, "Well, who did you you know support in the last election?" Chris Christie. You were you were an East Coaster. You lived in New Jersey. Why not Chris Christie? Well, you know because of the bridge thing. Yeah. Anybody that lived anywhere within fifty miles of the George Washington Bridge could never have supported Chris Christie. So there, why why I mentioned that I don't know, but it's a story I like to tell because I did love my time in Edgewater, New Jersey, the Garden State. I had no idea, and a lot of the people in the chat room were saying, "Hey, that's really cool." I had no idea why Tarzana was named as it was. It makes perfect sense now, and that's a little factoid that I'm going to insert into my brain housing group, Mark One <laughs> Model One, uh, just because it's a it's a cool little factoid. 
So as you were growing up, I'm guessing you had both parents in your family. And so what kind of stuff interested you when you were a kid growing up? What kind of childhood did you have? Well, but I was a radio kid. I really was. I loved listening to the radio. And we uh, we lived in a house with uh, uh, five people in one bathroom. So the radio wow. was how we got ourselves in and out. We listened to uh, news radio in New York, news radio uh, 88. And, you know, when the weather report came on, that was my sister's turn in the bathroom, and she had to be out of there by the first traffic report. <laughs> and then, so we lived our lives by the the whole beat of our life. And also, I, I left the house. I had to leave the house to get to the train station to commute into Regis High School in New York. When the Iran Air commercial came on, if I heard, Iran Air wants to fly you there, and I wasn't one foot out the door, I knew I was going to miss the train, so I had to get out the house. I heard that Iran Air commercial. That's how, so radio was my thing. I, I used to put the radio under my pillow at night. This is the age of, uh, of plastic transistor radios and listen to uh, a guy named Brad Crandall who was on uh, NBC Monitor Radio in New York and uh, Long John Nebel who had an overnight program and he used to have authors on and they'd talk about their books and writing their books and he had this kind of grab bag of local New York guzzlers who would discuss uh, the issues with him. And my father would come in and he'd hear that radio, tiny little radio and under my pillow. Get on that radio off. I never, you know, I never got an earplug that actually worked back then. Uh, that may be why I patented uh, uh, running earplugs, but that's another story. Um, you didn't notice, I, you didn't announce that I had a patent. But, no! Uh, I never made, a, never made a dime from the patent, but I'll tell you that story at another time. Anyhow, so radio was my life. I loved these guys on the radio. Gene Shepard, who was the writer behind A Christmas Story, uh, the great movie, he had a nightly radio program in New York where he just told tales of his life growing up in Ohio and Indiana, and just these little stories of, of life along the Mississippi. And uh, I just love listening to people talk on the radio. And I said, someday I'll do that, and someday I'm doing that. So that that, that was kind of a little uh, crazy uh, goal I had in life, to be one of those guys talking on the radio. And um, I am. Uh, the other part of my radio life, um, uh, Charles Osgood. Who oh, right. Yeah, Charles used to write uh, topical, uh, in addition to being a... Uh, you know, a newsman. And he a, was on CBS. Right. He, he wrote uh, uh, occasional poetry, occasional verse, light verse, I mean to call it. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but uh, uh, they were trying to uh, come up with an acronym for uh, people of the opposite sex sharing living quarters. Hmm. And okay. That, that the uh, an, a, anagram for that was possible cube. People were referring to each other as possible cues in the 70s. Uh, maybe that was just an East Coast thing. But he wrote a book of verse called There's Nothing That I Wouldn't Do If You Would Be My Possible Cue. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that was also my, uh, my uh, inspiration, that someday uh, not only would I be on the radio, but I would be doing ridiculous rhymes. And that also came true. So you're talking to someone who... Uh, of modest dreams, but they actually came true. Was there any particular, when you were growing up, and, and I know that there were definitely some people for me, was there any particular teacher or person, individual, who who 
who really managed to influence you early in life? Well, it was in the early grade, second or third grade. I wrote you know, my first poem as a uh, a uh, assignment. We read some Dr. Seuss or something, and then we're supposed to write a poem. And uh, the teacher uh, sent a note to my mother saying, uh, where did he copy this poem from? <laughs> she gave me an F. And I, I, I wrote that poem. I didn't copy it from anyone. It was just too good. So I guess that would be influence. I, when someone says you're good at something, even under those circumstances, uh, you uh, think, well, I can do this. You know, It's like in, I have, it's the theory of the first experience. The first time I played baseball with a hard ball, I got hit in the eye with the hard ball. I Naturally. was never really a good, good hitter after that. The first time I played hockey, they stuck me in the goal, and the first shot hit me. So I figured, oh, well, I'm pretty good at this. See, the same effect, the same thing happened. Both times I got whacked. But one time it was good, one time it was bad. So I could never play baseball, but I always was very good as a goalie. So. You know, I see you have a BA in English like I do. And by the way, just to let you know, we got about mm, two more minutes before the bottom of the hour break. Okay. Uh, you got a BA in English like I do, and also um, in theater. Now, what made you take an interest in theater, dear sir? Uh, I'll tell you another true story. My parents went to see uh, The Music Man with Robert Preston on Broadway in okay. 1960-something, right? Right. On Broadway. And they brought home the album because you used to buy the albums at the theater you know you see the show and buy the album and i stuck it on my little victrola at age three and took off the disney record that i had it was uh, the ballad of uh, snow white and dopey i believe and uh, which i can also tell you that story because i listened to it a thousand times well i listened to the music man about a thousand and ten times and i just listened it over and over and i sang the songs at age three and uh, my parents were worried about me, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> my mother said, you know, Lou, you really should take this kid to see the show. <laughs> so he, my dad went and bought two, and they were balcony tickets. And, I, and it, it, it appeared to me that I was, when I went, my only memory of it is watching Preston jump out of the back of the Wells Fargo wagon, which scared the shit out of me. And uh, that I was going to fall off the balcony uh, into the seats beneath me. So uh, I think my father had to walk me around into the lobby several times during the show to uh, compose me because it was, uh, it, was a, it was a horrendous experience. And yet I never really left the theater after that. I loved the theater. I probably the, the worst left turn I ever made in my life was leaving uh, Actors Equity, where I worked as a business representative. Then work at Screen Actors Guild as a business representative because I left the theater life for the film and TV life, and uh, uh, it's a different world. A friend of mine once said there are 50 people in show business in New York, and you'll meet every one of them many times. So always be nice. No one ever said that about the motion picture industry. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we're talking to Tarzana Joe who is a poet laureate, highly educated, well-versed in everything. Get, get, see what I did there? Well-versed in everything. Uh, and I, uh, Joe obviously has a voice made for radio or, or voiceovers. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Tarzana Joe, ask him some more questions, and I'm going to find out if he actually worked in, 
any real radio stations because, boy, if there's a, a guy who should have been directly in radio, it was Tarzana Joe. So, folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Please go absolutely nowhere. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, it's Sean from the Sackheads Radio Show. Also one of the owners here at the SHR Media Network. Are you opinionated? Have you ever wanted to do your own show? Have you ever heard somebody like the Sackheads and go, yeah, I could probably do that better? Well, now's your chance. Send me a five-minute clip at sackheadsradio at gmail.com and maybe you can be part of the SHR Broadcasting Team. Sackheadsradio at gmail.com. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. When dirty politicians, shadow governments, and deceptive Islam blind the world with fake stream media smoke, their only fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through shrmedia.com, highplainstalkradio.com, and the Western Free Radio Network at Spreaker, YouTube, and iTunes for a different perspective weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. Hey guys, it's Sackhead Clint. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new show here on the SHR Media Network. I'm teaming up with the one and only, all-powerful, the bloviating Zeppelin <laughs> right, sitting right. here to my left, bringing to you a, a fresh new show uh, here on the network. It's uh, Against Tyranny, and uh, we'll be picking up where the Sackheads left off. Excited to be with you, sir. Sackheads against, sackheads against Tyranny. We're going to chat. We're going to chat Wednesday night. Sackheads Against Tyranny. Wednesday night, 11 p.m. Oh, it's the same time, right? 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Same sack time, same sack channel. Yep. SHRmedia.com. See what I did there? It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Human by race, Christian by faith, American by nationality, and conservative by choice. Reverend Ralph J. Chittam Sr. is the right guy on SHR Media. From 8.05 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. And if on the rare occasion I am ever wrong, I will still always be right. The Right Guy on SHR Media. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m., right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment. And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events. All kinds of stuff. 
Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. Hey, BZ. So uh, the plan's working. You got rid of Sako. Uh, Sean is, uh, is now yeah. stepping away. I never even saw him. And uh, I know, and it, insidious. <laughs> insidious. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we talked about this for, a uh, man, a good, like, for the last three years. And uh, finally coming to fruition. You know I'm still in the room, right? It's almost like he's here still. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's um, kind of it's amazing. It's kind of at you. It's kind of eerie. Kind of a poltergeist, like a poltergeisty kind of thing. thing. Yeah, sackheads against tyranny. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show, live and direct ensconced within Studio A, B, C, D, E, and F. The SHR, the palatial and sumptuous SHR Media Studios, where I am broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, less than two miles from the locus of evil on the entire left coast, and it's oozing with the sulfurous smell of brimstone and death that would be the capital of the state of California, Sacramento. <laughs> it's frightening, it's scary, but it's here, and it's two miles away from this damn studio. So when I tell you that I am behind occupied lines, enemy enemy lines, holy crap am I ever. I can see them from here on nights like tonight when the wind is blowing. Ooh, I can smell it too. Bad, terrible, odiferous. Okay, folks, we're talking to Tarzana Joe. Uh, a poet laureate and a uh, speaker every Friday on the Hugh Hewitt radio show from Salem Media. And uh, Joe has an incredible voice. And I said that uh, I would ask you about this when I came back. As because of your radio voice, it would seem to me that that would lend itself to voiceovers, doing radio shows and things like that. Did you actually get into radio for any period of time, Tarzan and Joe, sir? 30 minutes. <laughs> 30 minutes? Well, here's the, the I, I, you know, those of us who go on the stage or write poetry or do what we do, talk for a living or try to, we love the sound of our own voice. Right. And uh, so the only time really in school at Wake Forest, I did a project where we were asked to uh, read textbooks for uh, children with learning disabilities. And the textbook <clears throat> happened to be, it was a really interesting American history textbook where there was very little text but a lot of excerpts from, you know, a letter from Daniel Boone or, you know, a newspaper article from the frontier or a, a, a letter home from, uh, you know, World War One soldier. And so it just lent itself to kind of doing voices and different characters and things like that. Okay. So I really, I really enjoyed that. It was one of those things that was very serendipitous and fun. You know, uh, they... When we finally met the teachers, we would do it at a radio station at night, one that was not on the air 24 hours. And they gave, lent us the studio. And we never met the kids or the teachers until the end of the year. And the teacher was so effusive in her praise and gratitude for what we had done. And oh, nice. these people sweating in a, in a booth at night and didn't know really that we had been that helpful, that we were having fun. So it was really a great deal. The next time, I actually uh, ever spoke on the radio besides uh, on a phone call with Mr. Hewitt on his radio program was when he asked me to guest host in the early days when he had morning drive here in uh, Los Angeles. 
And if you saw Albert Brooks in broadcast news when he was sweating, yes, <laughs> uh, then he was a piker compared to Tarzana Joe. Uh, I, I solved the drought for at least two months in Orange County uh, by the amount of effluent and uh, sweat that uh, poured out of me in that three-hour period. And I remember the day. It was the day that the um, Supreme Court ruling came in that uh, it was all right for the city of New London to condemn people's property uh, oh, right. not for uh, eminent domain, but for something that would have a bigger tax base, which is still, you know, a, a, a story of contention. And I don't think, even after the the property was condemned, that they ever did anything with it in New London. So that was pretty much of a disastrous day for uh, jurisprudence. But I had Irwin and John, the uh, the, uh, smart oh, the smart guys, smart guys, right? And they went at it, uh, you know. That was the only, but it was about 15 minutes where I could rest. But they had those two guys just going at it over that uh, that decision. So that's how I remember how long ago that was and what I did. And then the the other radio experience. Oh, oh, no, that's one more thing. There was a, 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 a streaming service called Book Crazy Radio. It was one of the early internet kind of podcasts. And someone had heard me on the Hewitt Show and said, "Would you do a podcast on poetry?" So for about six months, well. Book Crazy Radio uh, existed. I did a, a little a poetry podcast for them, interviewing some poets of my uh, acquaintance here in Los Angeles, and there are a few of them, and talking about different uh, poets uh, that I like. So that's all my only experience. I always uh, 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 envision doing voiceover because I love, I love, <laughs> sorry, that's like confession. I feel like you should slide a little screen between the two of us because I'm confessing. I love the sound of my own voice, and I used to do voices like Boris Bedinov, and I do Kermit the Frog here, and I would do these things, and I'd record them, and I'd send them off to people, and they hardly ever responded. And uh, uh, because I think you have to marry into the voiceover business in Los Angeles, it's uh, wonderfully lucrative and uh, highly guarded. So I uh, never broke down that door, and I really didn't try with all that much gusto, but uh, uh, I have my niche and I enjoy it. You really do have a voice made for radio, and I, I am kind of surprised that you're not in it and for voiceovers as well. Um, but I have, I'm going to go back a little bit if I can. What kind of jobs did you have when you were growing up? Because a lot of the jobs that, that people do while they're growing up, either in uh, you know, in elementary school, all the way up to high school and whatnot. I mean, they really are formative in terms of what you become as an adult later. Okay, uh, it's a it's a uh, a cycle of disasters. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a paper route for a week. I worked. I helped my friend with his paper route for a week, and you know, fell off the bicycle and threw the paper through the window or up on the roof or this kind of thing. So that didn't work out. My parents. Uh, sent me to uh, take accordion lessons. This is not a joke. Accordion lessons. Oh, please. And I, could, I couldn't play the accordion, so the guy hired me to clean his studio once a week. <laughs> so I would go to the place. My parents thought I was getting a lesson, and I would clean the studio and go for coffee. <laughs> I know, both my parents have gone to their reward, so even now they don't know that. that that's the only job I had. <laughs> Uh, oh, I was. I did. I wrote uh, um, uh, uh, for a uh, 
one of those kind of community newspapers where they, you know, they give them out at coffee shops and some right. advertising. And I was paid like ten dollars an article for uh, movie and, uh, and theater reviews. So since I was going to the movies and the theater anyway, I well, okay, they paid my way. Um, what else? Uh, those were kind of, you know, I mean, I mean, when, once you reached all the way up to a, a custodial accordion engineer. Uh, you know, how far else up can you go? So, and I never learned to play the accordion. I learned to hate the accordion because I had to listen to it while I was sweeping the place. So. Yeah, the, to me, the accordion is like either ch- uh, nails on the chalkboard or, or having to be punished by listening to Fran Drescher for any period of time. Okay, so... I, I, it would have been more pleasurable to you if I hit you with the accordion <laughs> than if I played the accordion. It's about it. <laughs> Okay, so you've graduated from Wake Forest now. Now, so what did you do next after that? Well, I had an, an, I'd done an uh, internship uh, uh, at uh, Actors Equity, where I was kind of the fly on the wall uh, at, at at a labor union, and we they were doing a negotiation for the summer stock contract, and I basically sat there at the collective bargaining table and took notes and typed up a summary of the negotiations for the negotiators and. And I guess I must have done that pretty well because when I got out of college and just went and chatted with them, they said, would you like to come and work here? And uh, I said, God, no. And uh, oh. they got, so they got me an interview with a, a press agent, a Broadway press agent. And this was really quite exciting. Uh, you know, we would be sending uh, 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 press releases to the various newspapers. There were newspapers in New York then, many of them. Uh, and uh, trying to get uh, what would be called in-kind advertising, right? So you'd, okay. you know, you'd, you'd, you'd send Michiko Kakutani at the New York Times uh, a, uh, a piece trying to get her interested in going to see Mumenshans for the 12th time and write about the new uh, you know, Swedes that were coming in to do this play. And if she wrote a little piece about them, well, then the producers were very happy that they got, you know, 12 inches in the New York Times Sunday entertainment section, and you got a pat on the, pat on the back from the, the, uh, the producer and the press agent, the senior press agent for the show. So I did that for, oh, six or eight months uh, until uh, uh, I couldn't uh, abide the running around uh, and the, the crazy... Uh, hours and the crazy boss and the crazy people although it was the fellow uh, there a guy named bob ganshaw which is a name right out of damon runyon isn't it yeah no kidding. Bob ganshaw who told me that uh there were 50 people in show business be nice to them because you'll meet them again and you'll want them to be nice to you it was a great experience uh, i met lillian hellman the, the uh really playwright writer she uh just a Six months before she passed away, they did a revival of a play of hers called Watch on the Rhine, and I had to kind of uh, escort her, you know, backstage and get her to this, you know, her various interviews and things like that. How nice. Uh, little, a great um, anic- my favorite anecdote of uh, that, that period was, uh, um, in those days, if you remember, old tickets, theater tickets, were printed. Uh, they did, they weren't computer generated, right? And they, they actually went to you know there was a, a big printing press and they printed out the tickets for every night and they cut them on a big cutting machine, and you know aisle A seat fourteen. Or, well, at the Brooks Atkinson Theater in New York, the two best seats in the house that the 
New York Times reporter got were not A17 and you know A18. They were actually printed Mr. Atkinson oh. and Mrs. Atkinson Ooh. on the ticket. Nice. So they were their tickets, and then you said, you know, "Take these personally to Clive Barnes," and you know, so that was kind of what I did uh, in in those days. I thought that was fun. I mean, being backstage and Broadway, I thought, "Well, here I am. I'm in my element." But um, it, it what happened is, it, if the senior press agent had a number of shows, the more shows he had, he could hire apprentice press agents, and if some of the shows closed, then you know the Last hired, first fired, and so that kind of it kind of petered out uh, because he was, he didn't have all the shows that he had when he hired me. So uh, I had to do something, and I went back to work for uh, for Screen Actors Guild, and uh, uh, that's what brought me, you know, into the the, the, the movie world. Um, uh, I, I was more interested in. I have, I have a T-shirt my wife gave me. It said. Uh, Formerly a union thug, now a corporate stooge, uh, <laughs> and from Screen Actors Guild to, to um, some of the studios doing doing work for them and, and trying to keep them in adherence to the collective bargaining agreements. Meanwhile, uh, writing, uh, scribbling away, writing that play that you made reference to uh, called Blue Laws, which mm-hmm. was kind of funny. I when I first moved to L.A. from New York, my wife is an assistant director in television. She worked on such famous shows as Northern Exposure and Law and Order. I used to love that. Yeah, indeed. And uh, she uh, and I decided we'd try our luck out here. And I grabbed you know, the local uh, writer's paper. It's kind of the Craigslist for writers. And they had all these writing, you know, Submit a play, uh, you know, we'll do a reading, we'll do a competition. The first prize is, you know, 50 bucks in the showcase. So I wrote this play called Blue Laws, and I sent it off to all these places. And, you know, crickets, you know, I really, <laughs> if I could, my career, if I could compare it to anyone in showbiz, it would be Daffy Duck. Uh, my career, <laughs> like, you know, crickets, crickets, you know. And, and, uh, I said, you know, you know, one of these I had a self, self send a stamped, self addressed envelope. I mean, I should be getting something back, even if it's you know the my manuscript with coffee stains on it or you know something. I should get that back. And that day, I opened the mailbox and there's a letter from this theater company, Moving Arts Theater. I said, oh, it was a little thin letter, and I, I thought, well, it's just thank you, you know, thank you. And I opened it up and said, we're proud to announce that the winner of our uh, play writing contest is Tarzana Joe, and the second place is you know Floyd Bevins, and third place is so. And I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I thought, is that why did why didn't they call me? Why did they <laughs> note with a press release? Let it be a it? secret, right? Well, my first thought was, oh, everybody wins, eh? And then they get you like you know. To, contribute $500 to the production of your own play. Oh, my God. And I was like really upset. I was, I thought this is a scam. And I walked in the door and that phone rang and it's like, hi, Joe, you won our play. I said, oh, really? Huh? How come I got this in the mail for anyhow? But it, it turned out that I actually had won the, uh, the, uh, contest and they, pre- they produced the play in a small little waiver house. It's like, you know, 
75 seats. It looks like they like nailed 10 couches together to, to make a theater. <laughs> and, but they did a nice job with it. And six months later, I get another call from the producer and saying, you know, we've just been nominated for Best New Play. And that knocked me off my socks. And I got a tuxedo and everything. And I went to the uh, the, uh, the Schubert Theater in, uh, in Los Angeles and heard them read somebody else's name out of the winner. Terry Hatcher who at the time I would have done anything to meet, uh, read somebody else's name as the winning play. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you the obvious question in, in just a little bit, but but first, uh, so we got about uh, eight minutes to go before the top of the hour. I submit that in everybody's life, there are certain um, what I call pivotal moments, you know, where you're moving in one direction and then life intervenes and it sends you in another direction and sometimes uh, for good and sometimes not so good. What would you say was maybe one or a couple of those pivotal moments for Tarzana Joe? Well, I hate to say that I've told this story many times, not to you, so you wouldn't know that. I wouldn't have had to say that. But uh, when I was, uh, there was a, a, a communal audition called the Southern Eastern Conference Theater. Anyhow, it was a cattle call for kids in college, and we'd all walk across the stage, and we had uh, a one-minute monologue to do, and uh, and you'd sing sing a song. You'd say, you know, hit it, and the kid would you'd hand him your music, and you'd sing as much as you could sing, right? And I was in junior year in college, and my monologue was something very deep from a Pirandello play. It was very, very, very important. And my song was something from Fiddler on the Roof, which made no sense. I mean, just to think about that, it didn't make any sense. Who are they going to hire? You know, they're going to I'm going to play the Italian in Nana Tefka. You know, it doesn't. What am I auditioning for? Anyhow. So they bring you out in groups of 15, and you sit on the side of the stage, and I was like the 15th person. And seven of the people who went ahead of me were young women, and they all did the same monologue. Uh-oh. And it was from, I think, the Hot L Baltimore, and it, it starts, I know, you're looking at my, aren't you? A uh, street word for a woman's... Uh, breasts right i know you're looking at my aren't you and then she went off there well i'm not just my mm, you know okay so seven times the people in the audience heard that just in my group of 15 i imagined it was the hot monologue for women to do that year and i'm sitting there in chair number 15 thinking i could do pirandello or i can go up there and say i know you're looking at my tits aren't you <laughs> and bring down the house and I didn't do it. Oh, no. Okay. And that's the pivotal moment in my life, because I didn't have the guts to do it. If I had been Robin Williams, I would have done it. Oh, and he would have And I would have been it. Robin Williams, but I didn't. Because yeah. I was just I was a good Catholic boy who had practiced his monologue, and by God, I wasn't going to really risk it. So it's it maybe it, what it said to me was, you know, maybe you shouldn't be an actor, because an actor, a real crazy nut, bag actor would have done that. Now, if I could go back in time, boy, would I have made a different decision because I think my life would have been quite different. 
That's a pivotal moment. It's a terrible one. <laughs> but it's it, kind of it, like cleaning up the accordion studio, but it's a pivotal moment. Well, they, things like that, they define you in retrospect. You can understand where it is that, and how it is uh, that you got to these places today. we got about five minutes left before the top of the hour. I wanted that to get this it. in. That, beca- was, that was the turning point in my life. I, nothing else happened since. No, of course not. <laughs> no. Meeting my lovely wife across a crowded room, it was, it was wonderful. At a Christmas party, and it was like, Zom enchanted evening. And uh, then we got married, and then we had a child. Those were pivotal moments in my life, and they were wonderful, happy, wonderful moments. And uh, the first time I listened to the U. Hewitt show, really, uh, a friend of mine said, uh, you got to listen to this guy on the radio, and I did. And he was, he happened to be auditioning for uh, okay. an expert on Shakespeare. You're going where I, I wanted you to go. Perfect. Yeah. And I, I, I sent him a resume saying I'm the world's foremost authority on Shakespeare. I am not, but I said I was. <laughs> I, I mean, come that. on, it's Hollywood, right? I love And that. I said, my wife, come, my wife comes from Cleveland, which obviously the, will uh, uh, you know, stand in good stead with him. Right. And then uh, the last thing, he was one of his big advertisements at the time was Focus Factor. And my last line in my resume was, we'll work for Focus Factor. And uh, I got a call from Dwayne, and uh, he said, you want to talk on the air about poetry? And uh, the rest is history. (sighs) I love that story. You know, how did I get into radio? Well, I lied. How did you get into uh, showbiz? Well, I lied. How did you get up on stage? Well, I lied. How did you get that resume? Well, I lied. Hey, that's how that's how things happen. That's that's how you move. That's how you grow. Have you ever read the book Act Two by Moss Hart? No, I have not. It's a showbiz memoir, and he was a reader for a producer, and he was reading these plays, and he said, they're all stink. I could write a play like better than this. So he wrote a play uh, uh, with a pseudonym, gave it good coverage, and handed it to the producer. And said, yeah, you should read this one. It's his play. And the producer liked it and said, we got to get in touch with this guy. And he thought, I, had not, I didn't know what to do. I was afraid to tell him that I wrote it. So the playwright was anonymous almost to the day of the opening night of the play. And he was just petrified for six months while this play was being produced, uh, his own play that he, he couldn't acknowledge as his own. It really is quite, you have, if you haven't read it, you should at least read that part of it because it is wonderfully, I mean, if you think I sweat the day I uh, guest hosted for you. Imagine six months of every day thinking you're going to be found out and that your dream of being a playwright is going to be crushed because you can't tell the truth. It'd be like, like being an FBI agent or something, you know? Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> holy crap. That's going to be my second hour. Okay. Now, I, uh, I want folks, or excuse me, I want you to tell people where they can find you, your website, any, any blogs, any social media, things like that, because sure. you are a poet, but you also... Uh, take commissions for poetry. So I'm, I'm. What I'm saying is, folks, uh, Tarzana Joe is going to give you some links and whatnot, some some ways to contact him. And if you're looking for something unique, like for, uh, it's getting close to the anniversary, it's getting close to a birthday, some kind of an event, uh, you can commission a poem from an actual poet, <laughs> and that's Tarzana Joe. So where can you be found, dear sir? TarzanaJoe.com, very simply. TarzanaJoe, T-A-R-Z-A-N-A-J-O-E.com. 
And, uh, you know, the way this started is uh, one Valentine's Day on the Hewitt Show, I said, oh, you procrastinators, if you don't have a gift for your wife, uh, just uh, email me at tarzanajoe at reagan.com, and I'll write you a Valentine uh, for your dear, lovely wife. And I got, like, 40 emails in the first two minutes, and I thought, yeah. oh, people <laughs> like poetry. Yeah, I have and- written wedding toasts, anniversary poems, birthday poems, eulogies. I wrote a poem for a family that was selling the family home in home. Mason City, Iowa. That's nice. And they wanted a poem to kind of commemorate the moment and the, the place where they all grew up, and they framed it and left it for the new owners. That was very touching. I have a commission to write a eulogy for a three-star general who's quite still alive and with us, but uh, his uh, his uh, next of kin want to be ready <laughs> when the time comes. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, uh, and I hope he's not listening. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, so, uh, but mostly wedding toasts. I think the fathers of the bride and fathers of the groom and mothers of the bride and even friends of the family. Uh, one fellow I've written about six wedding toasts for because the first one was so popular in his circle that now they make him get up and say a poem at the next wedding and he comes to me for it because he has not acknowledged my. Uh, uh, John Alden, Miles Standish relationship. So it's good for us, good for me, good for him. Uh, anyhow, so it's TarzanaJoe.com. Uh, you can also look for my work at SimplifyMagazine.com. Oh, okay. There's a new magazine out, uh, online magazine, about decluttering your life. And they asked me to write a declutter poem for them. So uh, on the June issue of SimplifyMagazine.com, you can find some of my work if you don't if you want to know what you're getting into when you hire me, and you can also go to tarzanajoe.com to see poems, or you could go to amazon.com and you can buy the Kindle version of It Only Hurts When I Rhyme. There's even a print version that they will print out. They'll run down to the store, print out one for you, and send it to you in the mail. It Only Hurts When I Rhyme by Tarzana Joe. And they do it quick like a bunny. So, Tarzana Joe, thank you ever so kindly for taking the time to be here in the show. I'm glad you weren't on the the uh, far right coast so that you had to stay up uh, incredibly late. Uh, would it be possible, sir, if I ask you to be on the show again? Absolutely. It's been my pleasure, and um, I love chatting with you, BZ. Okay. Well, I've gotten, I've gotten some of the stuff up uh, out of the way, but I had a ton of questions. I just didn't have enough time. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you have been listening to Tarzana Joe right here in the saloon. When we come back after the break, we're going to get into some politics, and we're going to tell you what happened today in terms of the Inspector General, and it's all the good and buttery political stuff that you listen to me for. So thank you ever so kindly. We're going to take a break and be right back. And then uh, I think you'd be, uh, it would be fair to say uh, the gloves are going to come off. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, it's Sean from the Sackheads Radio Show. Also one of the owners here at the SHR Media Network. Are you opinionated? Have you ever wanted to do your own show? Have you ever heard somebody like the Sackheads and go, yeah, I could probably do that better? Well, now's your chance. Send me a five-minute clip at sackheadsradio at gmail.com, and maybe you can be part of the SHR Broadcasting Team. Sackheadsradio at gmail.com. 
Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. When dirty politicians, shadow governments, and deceptive Islam blind the world with fake stream media smoke, their only fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through shrmedia.com, highplainstalkradio.com, and the Western Free Radio Network at Spreaker, YouTube, and iTunes for a different perspective weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. Hey guys, it's Sackhead Clint. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new show here on the SHR Media Network. I'm teaming up with the one and only, all-powerful, the bloviating Zeppelin right, sitting right. here to my left, bringing to you a, a fresh new show uh, here on the network. It's Against Tyranny, and uh, we'll be picking up where the Sackheads left off. Excited to be with you, sir. Sackheads against, sackheads against Tyranny. We're going to chat. We're going to chat Wednesday night. Sackheads Against Tyranny. Wednesday night, 11 p.m. Oh, it's the same time, right? 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Same I'm sack time, same sack channel. SHRmedia.com. See what I did there? It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Human by race, Christian by faith, American by nationality, and conservative by choice, Reverend Ralph J. Chittam Sr. is the right guy on SHR Media from 8.05 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. And if on the rare occasion I am ever wrong, I will still always be right. The Right Guy on SHR Media. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m., right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment. And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. Hey, BZ. So uh, the plan's working. We got rid of Sako. Uh, Sean is, uh, is now yeah. stepping away. I never even saw him. And uh, I know, and insidious, insidious. You know, we, I mean, we talked about this for, a uh, man, a good, like, for the last three years. And uh, finally coming to fruition. You, you know I'm still in the room, right? It's almost like he's here still. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's um, kind of... It's amazing. It's kind of... at you. It's kind of eerie. It's like a poltergeist like a poltergeisty thing. thing. Yeah, sackheads against tyranny. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. And you're right. 
It is the SHR Media Network. I'm broadcasting live and direct from the sumptuous and palatial SHR Media Studios. My thanks again to Tarzana Joe instead of Hemet Theodore, which that just doesn't play. And like I told him, and I just sent uh, Joe a couple of texts, I said, oh my God, from being in the, the movie industry and the entertainment industry, Oh my God, do I bet you have stories to tell. Holy crap. And uh, that's what I wanted. And and he did give me some stories. Now, this is out of, uh, this is a a sample poem. uh, And this is from June 8th of uh, this year. And this is called Pardon Me by Jersey, excuse me, by uh, Tarzana Joe. All around the Beltway and out in the Old Dominion, prominent attorneys have been asked for an opinion. The question posed to all of them, from Dershowitz to Darden, are there limitations on the power of the pardon? When the founders constituted how to run this nation, can they have been contemplating self-exoneration? I've never been a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. But there's another issue that's, if you're asking me... Reports say some officials are now looking for immunity for actions during the last regime they authored with impunity. They circumvented sanctions with indifference depraver than the banks which in good conscience wouldn't entertain the waiver. Some DOJ appointees burnt their candles at both ends to incarcerate their enemies and go easy on their friends. Now, I wouldn't bet the 401 or funds of your dependents, but prosecutors could wind up on trial as defendants. And even though he said he can't experience, as shown, much can be accomplished with a pen and with a phone. I'm thinking in a day or so, unless my guess I miss, the question they'll be asking will undoubtedly be this. Is the POTUS pardon power in perpetuum exacto? Can Obama pardon them? And can he do it in ex post facto? That was Pardon Power by Tarzana Joe. And that's just an example of all the the cool stuff that he can do for you and all the writing and stuff that he can do for you as well. Now, uh, we're going to move on here a little bit. And... uh, I figured that because of all the stuff that's been going on and it's all just massively, it's moving in the direction that I told you quite some time ago, it's going to continue to move. And this is, this is still, this is still just the tip of the damn iceberg. But in celebration of some of these things, because they're quite revelatory. Um, I I love this, and today is this thing ever applicable? And uh, quite frankly, it's just got a damn good beat to it. Uh, so here's the story, and here's the song you've all come to know and love. Good morning. I'm here to give you an update on the FBI's investigation of Secretary Clinton. What I want to do is tell you what we're recommending, but first, let me tell you what we found. One hundred and ten. Chains have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. Thirty-six of those chains secret, and eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Everything I did was permitted. There was no law, no regulation. Secretary Clinton should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. I did not email any classified material. 
the contrary. Nothing was marked classified. There is evidence that Nothing was marked classified. Now let me tell you what we found. Oh my gosh. 110 emails. It was not the best choice. 52 email chains. It was the mistake. It was determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains were top secret. What's the best choice? Six of those chains. I said it was a mistake. Eight contained confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? With respect to our recommendation, this is going to be an unusual statement. Prosecutor would bring such a case. <laughs> I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. Public debate. What difference at this point does it make? 110 emails. It wasn't the best choice. 52 email chains. I made a mistake. I've been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains were top secret. Not a good choice. Six of those chains. I said it was a mistake. What difference at this point does it make? You, I, I could listen. I, I could, this is how simple I am. What a simple bastard I am. I could listen to that song every day. So let's, let's start at the start, shall we? Okay, BZ, let's do it. <clears throat> the Inspector General's report came out today. And in some ways, it was much less than I expected. And in some ways, it was more corrupt than I expected. And in some ways, it was a lot more than I expected. Please allow me to elaborate, if I might. First, okay, from uh, Bloomberg.com, under the politics aegis. Comey was insubordinate in Clinton probe, Inspector General Fine. So what's, what's one of the things that we can take away from this? Yes, the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, said essentially that he found James Comey, former, I love saying that, former director of the FBI, was insubordinate in the Clinton probe. Uh, he found that Comey wasn't politically biased, but damaged the bureau image. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? But being this is a 44 finger, uh, you got to ask yourself one question. When am I going to get back to that? And the, the answer is, I will get back to that. So, so fear not. Five FBI officials were found to have expressed hostility to Trump. Let's get back to that breaking news from the Justice Department. As I mentioned, and we were talking earlier, former FBI Director James Comey was... All right, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a sap for chicks with British voices, okay? ...deemed, quote, insubordinate in handling the probe into Hillary Clinton and the email scandal that took place, the personal use of emails damaging the Bureau and the Justice Department's image of impartiality. And the critical point... Damaging? Oh! We'll get to that, too. No, here he said he's not deemed to have been motivated by politics. This according to the department's watchdog and the report. Not motivated by politics. <laughs> you don't think I'm going to let that one fly past, do you? That we got released in just the last few moments. Let's get some context here. We're joined now by Sahil Kapoor. Okay, let's not get some context on this. Let's continue with that particular article. Former FBI Director James Comey was insubordinate in handling the probe into Hillary Clinton, damaging the Bureau and the Justice Department's image of impartiality, even though, now this is the conclusion, this is not me, this is what the IG has written, 
Uh, even though he wasn't mo- he meaning James Comey wasn't motivated by politics, the department's watchdog found. Although the report issued Thursday by Inspector General Michael Horowitz doesn't deal directly with Special Counsel Robert Mueller's probe into Russia meddling in the 2016 U.S. election and possible collusion with those around Donald Trump. And by the way, stop. If you were thinking that the IG report was, in fact, going to deal directly with that. No, it wasn't. Uh, The first topic dealt with here in the IG's report was regarding Hillary Clinton. So as far as the IG is concerned, this topic is done. It's done. It's over. It's finished. Donald Trump, the president, and his Republican allies in Congress were primed to seize on it as evidence of poor judgment and anti-Trump bias within the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Justice Department. I'm reading this to you for a number of reasons. Uh, Primarily, it's to inform, but uh, a close number two is I need you to see, to continue to understand how it is that the American media maggots craft these articles in a fashion to make things purposely look less damaging than they truly are so when you perhaps like bz are hearing me say certain things this is not me saying this i will have my commentary trust me i've got a bunch of tabs lined up here you know like like russian soldiers at the front that we're going to shoot here in a nice chronological order in in a row so so don't wait don't go away just yet because there's oh so much more buttery political uh, goodness. And if you want to read the report, it's 500 pages long. I've seen copies of the thing on uh, on CNN and on Fox today. Literally, it's about, I would estimate, four to five inches thick. One report, 500 pages. Horowitz said that five FBI officials expressed hostility toward Trump before his election as president and disclosed in his report to Congress that their actions have been referred to the Bureau for possible disciplinary action. Now, stop. Okay. Do not fail to remember that it was Andrew McCabe who was fired from the number two position in the FBI because... An inspector general report sent over to the FBI's OPR. I used to work for the FBI. So the OPR is like a police department's version of internal affairs. OPR stands for the Office of Professional Responsibility. Just think when you hear OPR, think, okay, internal affairs. But internal affairs in the FBI acted on information given to them from the inspector general about Him believing that Andy McCabe lied to the FBI about various leaks, okay? Now, I call, as you well know, I call James Comey Jimmy the Leak because, well, he is. He purposely leaked information, which I believe is illegal in and of itself. I never, ever, ever in my wildest, most fevered dreams would have thought That we'd have an FBI director leaking information and the purpose of the leaks, as clearly stated by James Comey, I'm sorry, Jimmy, the leak, was to ensure that a special counsel was appointed to investigate Donald John Trump. Now, because of James Comey having been fired, you see, but here's here's the conflict. Here's the hypocrisy. We're going to get back into the rest of these articles because I veered like I frequently do, uh, and I am I am want to veer because, after all, it's my damn radio show. But here's the conundrum. Was it not uh, Rod Rosenstein, the assistant attorney general, 
who wrote the paper submitted to Donald Trump outlying in stark little bullet points the reasons why James Comey should be fired. That report was given to President Donald John Trump, a guy with a dead orange cat on his head. He looked at it and said, you know what, I agree. And uh, Rod Rosenstein, yep, I concur with that. And that's what we're going to do. Now, after having acted on that, it was Rod Rosenstein, wait for it, wait for it, who managed to appoint a special counsel to investigate Donald John Trump for Russia and collusion. Part of it was also the firing of James Comey, which is the exact same thing that he recommended to Donald John Trump. Now, if if you want to, to fuck someone over uh, publicly, is that not a brilliant way to do it? And the answer is yes, because leftists, Democrats, and the American media maggots purposefully do not make the linkage for that. They don't get it because they don't want to get it. Now, here's a story from the UK Daily Mail. And frequently I go out of the United States on the Internet. And I go to the UK to get a lot of my stories because frequently I discover that they are more in-depth than the stories here in the United Snakes of America. So from the UK Daily Mail, this is their headline about today. We'll stop it. Justice Department Inspector General says texting FBI lovers talked about keeping Trump from becoming president, yet insists there was no political bias in the Hillary Clinton email probe. So you heard it. And if you're keeping your fingers uh, on what's going on here, what you're realizing is... Uh, that Rosenstein, and and this is part of it's much less than I thought it was going to be, and it's corrupt. This is the corrupt part, you see, because now we have Rosenstein acting like James Comey, like Jimmy the Leak. Now, Rod, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Horowitz, I should say. Horowitz isn't leaking, but essentially what he's doing is building up an excellent case for prosecution on any number of levels, just like Jimmy the Leak did in the presentation of his case in June of 2016 against Hillary Clinton, and then concludes that, you know, there really isn't anything there, there's nothing to look at, just go ahead and move on. That's how Horowitz uh, is, it just, he comied us, so to speak, laying out all of the information and then concluding from whatever far reach he could he could come up with in his brainless concludes that yeah there really is no there there doj inspector general report released today suggests texting fbi lovers peter strock and lisa page conspired to keep donald john trump from becoming president now This is from UK News. As we know about UK News, it doesn't lean right. Come on. UK News is either slightly left or like way hard port left. And even the UK is writing stuff like this. Still, the conduct of Strzok, Page, and others cast a cloud over the entire FBI investigation into Clinton's private email server that housed classified info. Oh, we're going to get to that, too. Report also blasts FBI Chief James Comey and says he deviated from established FBI practices in the Clinton email probe. 
And the other thing that's kind of interesting is this report came out today. You may or may not have realized this came out on President Trump's 72nd birthday. Um, now, I'm curious what President Trump is going to have to say about this, and I'm sure in time he'll he'll uh, go into this in, in great detail. But it's, I guess you could say maybe this is a, a bit of a birthday present for him. Horowitz criticized Comey and uh, former AG Loretta Lynch for not communicating before announcements about major decisions in the probe. June 18th and 19th, they're going to see Horowitz testifying in the Senate and House hearings on Capitol Hill. And uh, uh, John, uh, Donald Trump said uh, last week that he hoped the report wasn't going to be made weaker. So what they wrote in a little bit more detail is that a bombshell report released today by the Justice Department's uh, inspector general includes new evidence that an FBI agent and an agency lawyer who were having an affair in 2016 were also plotting to keep President Donald Trump from winning the election in an email from August 8th, 2016, Special Agent Peter Strzok reassured Page that she needn't worry about Trump winning the White House. Trump is, quote, not ever going to become president. Right? Right? Page texted Strzok. No, no, he's not. We'll stop it, he responded. Inspector General Michael Horowitz wrote that Several FBI employees who played critical roles in the investigation sent political messages, but concluded that the conduct by these employees cast a cloud over the entire FBI investigation. When one senior FBI official, Strzok, who was helping to lead the Russian investigation at the time, conveys in a text message to another senior FBI official, Page, that will stop candidate Trump from being elected after other extensive text messages between the two disparaging candidate Trump, it's not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospects. Horowitz concluded, now, in your mind, in my mind, this is very similar, I I submit. Is it not to what James Comey, Jimmy the Leak, said in June of 2016, he's setting up the argument, essentially, for indicating that, hey, I think Hillary Clinton ought to be indicted. And to a degree, if you're reading this, you're beginning to sense that, oh, okay, is, is that where Horowitz is going in this IG report? But he won't commit. And James Comey didn't commit. And you're going to hear a little bit at what I think is one reason that also came out in this IG report as to why James Comey decided that, uh, you know what? No, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there with regard to Hillary Clinton because mostly, like like I indicated, this doesn't deal with Trump and Russia. This is Hillary Clinton, her server, and her emails. That's the issue here in this IG report. This is antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Yet, Horowitz declared in the same report that the IG's office did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that improper considerations, including political bias, directly affected the specific investigative actions we reviewed. Stop. I got about four more minutes before the bottom of the hour break. You have to think like an attorney. And what I think Horowitz is attempting to say here is he's hedging his bets, and like an attorney, he's not going to go very far because 
he doesn't want to. It's almost an amazing kind of thing these days that this report came out in this fashion. However, that having been said, essentially what he's saying, and, and you would never find it, what he's saying is that he just didn't find that one singular piece of paper that said something similar to James Comey. I have a piece of paper that says, says James Comey uh, purposely, with political bias, decided that he was going to find for Hillary Rodham Clinton and not prosecute her because he wanted to ensure that she was carried into the White House. Again, stop. You're not going to find stuff like that. It just doesn't exist. Most of these people are not stupid. Well, they're kind of stupid, but they're not that stupid to leave a literal smoking gun behind. They all know what it is that they can can do. They know how far they can push before there starts to become some pushback on them. As an aside, let me also point out the obvious, Captain Obvious over there in the corner. Hi, Captain. Glad you could be here tonight. Good to see you, sir. But Captain Obvious pointed out to me that isn't it odd, isn't just a bit odd, that Comey has not been out uh, pushing his book for the past two, three weeks or something like that. And isn't it odd that James Comey, Jimmy the Leak, happens to be on vacation, vacazione, today when this uh, very important stuff comes out? And that's not a dink. FBI Director Christopher Wray told reporters Thursday evening that he would make sure heads rolled, but emphasized that no one had proven a political motive behind any, con- any misconduct. You already are getting a taste of how this is moving, how it's rolling, and what's going to happen. Now, I want to emphasize one very important thing from the IG report. The inspector general submits information after having done an investigation. And the investigation, the focus, the aim of this was to discover what had happened with regard to the FBI, the server, Hillary Clinton's emails, etc. That was a fairly limited focus on this report. But do not get confused thinking that this inspector general report or any inspector general report has true teeth because it doesn't this doesn't and none of them do a report is submitted and proffered to those who asked for it to be created they take a look at the report they examine it and in in this case either the fbi or or actually more specifically the doj is going to have to decide is the information that we have here Actionable. In other words, with this information, are we going to create our own investigation and take this? And in other words, what are we going to do with this? So the inspector general does not have powers of discipline, hiring, firing, uh, making criminal uh, recommendations. That doesn't exist. So if you expected that out of the inspector general report, you were sadly mistaken. We're operating on very poor information. Uh, it's the bottom of the hour. There's, I, God, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get through all of this. Uh, let's just start the break right now. And uh, I'm, after this, after the break, I'm just going to continue uh, rolling because, oh, there is so much more left to roll. 
Uh, you're listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show, live and direct right here on the SHR Media Network. Go absolutely nowhere, please. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, it's Sean from the Sackheads Radio Show. Also one of the owners here at the SHR Media Network. Are you opinionated? Have you ever wanted to do your own show? Have you ever heard somebody like the Sackheads and go, yeah, I could probably do that better? Well, now's your chance. Send me a five-minute clip at sackheadsradio at gmail.com, and maybe you can be part of the SHR Broadcasting Team. Sackheadsradio at gmail.com. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. When dirty politicians, shadow governments, and deceptive Islam blind the world with fake stream media smoke, their only fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through shrmedia.com, highplainstalkradio.com, and the Western Free Radio Network at Spreaker, YouTube, and iTunes for a different perspective weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. Hey guys, it's Sackhead Clint. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new show here on the SHR Media Network. I'm teaming up with the one and only, all-powerful, the bloviating Zeppelin <laughs> right, sitting right. here to my left, bringing to you a, a fresh new show uh, here on the network. It's uh, Against Tyranny, and uh, we'll be picking up where the Sackheads left off. Excited to be with you, sir. Sackheads against, sackheads against Tyranny. We're going to chat. We're going to chat Wednesday night. Sackheads against Tyranny. Wednesday night, 11 p.m. Oh, it's the same time, right? 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Same sack time, same sack channel. Yep. SHRmedia.com. See what I did there? It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Human by race, Christian by faith, American by nationality, and conservative by choice. Reverend Ralph J. Chittam Sr. is the right guy on SHR Media. From 8.05 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. And if on the rare occasion I am ever wrong, I will still always be right. The Right Guy on SHR Media. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m., right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment. And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com.
Hey, BZ. So uh, the plan's working. You got rid of Sacco. Uh, Sean is, uh, is now yeah. stepping away. I never even saw him. And uh, I know, and insidious. <laughs> insidious. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we talked about this for, a uh, man, a good, like, for the last three years. And uh, finally coming to fruition. You know I'm still in the room, right? It's almost like he's here still. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's um, kind of it's amazing. It's kind of at you. It's kind of eerie. Kind of a poltergeist, like a poltergeisty kind of thing. thing. Yeah, sackheads against tyranny. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Well, it's the final segment. The final 25 minutes. Two hours, almost two hours, have gone by. Boom, like this, quick, like a bunny, like. Hello, almost gone. Thank you for listening. Uh, thanks again to Tarzana Joe for being here the first hour. Enjoyed that a lot. He's got, I'm sure, this dude has so many showbiz stories uh, that are probably funny, revelatory. He probably knows a lot of stuff about a lot of people, a lot of skeletons in the closet that he may or may not reveal. I'd still like to have him back because I kind of dig his stories a lot. We're talking about the Inspector General report that just came out, and I kind of hinted that there's, I suspect, a reason amongst many why James Comey, Jimmy the Leak, uh, didn't go after Hillary Clinton. Now, in terms of insubordination, let's let's back this up just a bit. Ding, ding, as I back up, because my ass is so big, it's like the rear of a 67 Peterbilt 389. Uh, so as I'm backing this up just a hair, I'd like to say that James Comey was called insubordinate because he didn't keep his bosses in the loop of what he was doing. The other thing is he proves continuously time and again that it's all about him. Why would an FBI director stand up in front of a podium in June of 2016 and say that he's not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. Why would he say these things, line out all sorts of bullet points as to why he should, and then he concludes, not the uh, the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch at the time, he concludes that he's not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. When it's not his fucking job to make that conclusion, he's not the attorney general. Like any other police department all across the fruited plain, you have a district attorney who decides what he or she will take for prosecution and what they won't. The police department doesn't have the authority to go, hey, district attorney, you will prosecute this case, won't you? Or, by the way, district attorney, tonight... I'm not letting you prosecute this case. I'm determining independently that uh, we're not going to prosecute on this case. And after the district attorney got through yelling at you, expletives, F-words and S-words, and or slamming the phone down on you, well, that's what really should have happened uh, when Loretta Lynch was cut out of the loop with this major caveat. She was happy as hell to be cut out of the loop because she didn't want to have anything to do with this hot potato. So James Comey, Jimmy the, Jimmy the Leak, making that conclusion 
on his own. Of course, she had to make mouth music, mouth noise, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's pretty terrible. I'm sure it's pretty. Sub Rosa, she was thinking, oh, James Comey, thank you for doing that. Now, now I don't really have to. I don't have to be involved in this. I don't have to do my damn job because James Comey, Jim in the Leak, you did my job for me. Now, after I went off on that tangent, let's get back on track here, shall we? One of the reasons that I submit that James Comey decided that he wasn't mm -mm, going to recommend an indictment or a grand jury for Hillary Rodham Clinton was this little tidbit that came out of the Inspector General's report today. This thick, 500 pages. This is from CNBC. I don't mind using them because they happen to be telling the truth in this one slight occasion. James Comey... Hope you're sitting down. James Comey used Gmail for FBI business when director, despite warning employees against it. And a watchdog said that James Comey used a personal Gmail account to conduct a wait, stop, stop, stop. Now, are you trying to intimate BZ that this is similar to what the FBI was uh, potentially going to investigate Hillary Rodham Clinton about? And then all of a sudden it's discovered and comes out in the IG report. Hey, 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 hold up on that car wash there, dude, because I'm doing the exact same thing that they want me to uh, investigate Hillary Clinton for. So if I go there, dot, 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 I'm sure you can follow along with that. Comey's use of a personal email account for unclassified FBI business was inconsistent with a policy statement by the Justice Department, according to the Office of the Inspector General. Hmm. Didn't see that one coming, did you? I mean, that wouldn't have had any decision. Uh, that, that wouldn't have influenced him at all, right? So he used his email for FBI business. He used uh, his personal email account during his time at the Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, his use of his personal account was inconsistent with Department of Justice warnings to employees. And a report from the OIG lists five instances that this occurred. He investigated Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State. And in 2016, he said at a conference in San Diego, I've gotten emails from some employees about this who said, if I did what Hillary did... I'd be in huge trouble. Yeah, they would be in huge trouble. Imagine that. So, his frequent use of a personal email account for unclassified FBI business was inconsistent with Justice Department policy, according to that report. He was criticized, also, in that report for usurping the power of the Attorney General, just as I indicated, in his handling of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private, private email server for State Department business. Now, also, this I find very interesting. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Representative Meadows, and, and what a large revelation this is, because now you're going to see some more links being made out of this report. And I told you, this, this IG report is more than I thought it was going to be. It's less than I thought it was going to be. And it proves corruption, in my opinion, on the part of Horowitz, who refuses to make linkage, just like James Comey failed to make linkage Jimmy the Leak. This is the headline. Representative Meadows, Strzok's will stop Trump from becoming president, text message, was also 
hidden from congressional investigators. Uh, you know, if I had a producer, I, I'd have to say something like this. If I had a producer, uh, it, you would have heard something like this. Was hidden from con- congressional investigators. But unfortunately, I don't have a producer. FBI hating F, uh, Trump hating FBI agent Peter Strzok sent his mistress, very true, a text message saying, we'll stop Trump from becoming president. Uh, the text message from Strzok was sent to Page nine days after Crossfire Hurricane was opened and six days before the insurance policy text. Someone may have deleted this damning text message because it was missing from a previous document dump. So Representative Meadows also revealed this damning text message was hidden from congressional investigators as well as the public. Not only was the public in the dark about the extremely damning text from Strzok, it was also most likely deliberately hidden from congressional investigators. Let's continue. Uh, This is from the Daily Caller. I love doing this. Tip of the iceberg, folks. Tip of the iceberg. Oh, more to follow. This is from the Daily Caller. Viva la resistance. Mueller team attorney sent anti-Trump texts. Now, this isn't Strzok and Page. This is another individual who is not named, who needs to be named. Peter Strzok was named, after all. Lisa Page was named, after all. Why isn't this attorney Why isn't this attorney, an FBI attorney, why isn't this one named? From the Daily Caller, an FBI attorney attorney who worked on the special counsel's Russian investigation until earlier this year. Now, this is on the Mueller team, okay? Sent anti-Trump text messages to a colleague, including one exclaiming, Viva la resistance. The attorney's comments are revealed... In a Justice Department Inspector General's report released on Thursday. This is the part of the stuff that I didn't expect. This is more than I thought was going to be revealed and come out. The lawyer, however, is not identified, but he worked on the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And can you feature this? I don't know how this how the hell this happened. He was the FBI's lead attorney on the investigation into Russian election interference. He was assigned to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation soon after it began in May of 2017 and left in late February of this year, 2018, after some of his private private messages were shared with the special counsel. The inspector general's report focuses on instant messages that the attorney exchanged with a colleague about the Clinton and Russia probes. I am numb, the attorney wrote on November 9th, 2016, the day after President Trump's election. Quote, I am so stressed about what I could have done differently, the lawyer concluded, apparently referring to the FBI's handling of the Clinton email probe, meaning that if he realized he could have done more to sink President Trump, to sink a presidential nominee, a president-elect, and then a sitting president, if that doesn't follow the the two-word soft coup, I don't know what the hell does. 
the attorney's messages show he was distressed at the FBI's decision in October 2016 to reopen the investigation into Clinton emails. Democrats have since claimed that decision hurt Clinton, hurt Hillary Clinton at the polls. The FBI lawyer also suggested that he would work to resist the Trump administration. Now, wait, 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 wait. Is this not the same FBI that leftists, Democrats, and the American media maggots have all said is deserving of our trust? What would have happened had I made comments like that when I worked for the feds? I would have found my then slim arse on the way out because it would be quite apparent that uh, I couldn't be trusted to work on this. Now, I must state clearly I did not work directly with political cases. My cases were from a different squad, okay? I was the reactive squad. So I I only got a kind of semi a little bit into politics, but that wasn't what I was doing at the time. But we didn't do that at the time. The FBI didn't do that at the time. Um it is making you rethink your commitment to the Trump administration or excuse me, that's a question. Is it making you rethink your commitment to the Trump administration? One FBI lawyer wrote on November 22nd, 2016. Hell no. Viva la resistance. The future Mueller attorney responded. Well, everybody, the leftist Democrats and the American media maggots say that the FBI, the alphabet agencies, CIA, NSA, DOJ, they're all apolitical and they're all unbiased and we need to we need to have confidence in them which is why i respond in kind bullshit it's stuff like this which is continuing which clearly continues to indicate that it is in fact the tip of the iceberg and it keeps coming and they they wonder why stop and back up a little bit last night sackage uh, sean and i said essentially Can you feature what would have, or I should say primarily, what would not have happened in a Hillary Clinton presidency? You wouldn't know a percentile, a minuscule fraction of what you're seeing now these days. That would not come out at all. During interviews with the Office of the Inspector General, the lawyer who still remains unnamed, claimed that his personal political feelings or beliefs in no way impacted his work on the Clinton or Russia investigations. So you, as logical thinking human beings, and you there, over there, you, Captain Obvious, what do you think about that retort? Well, any five-year-old can see that that's a bunch of crap. Then we went on. With uh, Fox News responded with this. The inspector general refers five FBI employees for investigation as more anti-Trump messages are revealed. Heavy lifting. Uh, And if you will follow along, this becomes revelatory when we take a look at what is happening at the FBI, what has happened at the FBI and the efforts to uh, subvert the. By the way, this is Lou Dobbs at Fox Business News. Candidate. Uh, for President Donald Trump and ultimately uh, President Donald Trump. Unredacted texts that reveal how the FBI may have initiated a number of spies into the Trump campaign as early as December, December of uh, 2015. FBI investigator Peter Strzok 
Writing. Okay, tell you what, Lou, I don't want to go there right now. I want to go with this story. The Justice Department Inspector General has referred five FBI employees for investigation in connection with politically charged texts, revealing in its report on the Hillary Clinton uh, email case that more bureau officials than previously thought were exchanging anti-Trump messages. The long-awaited report largely dealt with the Justice Department and FBI's handling of the Clinton case, but uncovered numerous messages that appeared to mix political opinion with discussions about the MYE investigation. MYE, or Mid-Year Exam, was the code used in the FBI to refer to the investigation into Clinton's private email server. Some of these text messages and instant messages mixed political commentary with discussions about the Mid-Year investigation and raised concerns that political bias may have impacted investigative decisions. The report read, uh, I talk, you decide. What do you think? Do you think that had any bearing? I mean, these people were completely apolitical and they could clearly, obviously, conduct themselves in a professional fashion uh, until it's proven that they can't and that they are absolutely political and they are absolutely biased, as we see in these rather revealing emails. The report noted that it was specifically concerned about text messages exchanged between FBI officials Peter Strzok and Lisa Page that potentially indicated or created the appearance that investigative decisions were impacted by bias or improper uh, uh, considerations. That's one of the first things you should be thinking when you have information like this. While many of those texts were made public in late 2017, the IG report revealed a new one in which Strzok vowed to stop Trump from becoming president and made clear that as many as five total FBI employees exchanged politically charged messages. The text messages and instant messages sent by these employees included statements of hostility toward then-candidate Trump and statements of support for Hillary Clinton, the report said. Yet the American media maggots, leftists, and Democrats want us to continue to believe, wrongly, that the alphabet agencies, DOJ, FBI... CIA, for that matter, they're completely unbiased and apolitical. And again, bullshit. Completely wrong. Absolutely wrong. The report revealed instant messages between unnamed agents labeled Agent 1 and Agent 5 discussing their jobs in August of 2016. And this is literally what one of the texts said. And I want to read this to you. I find anyone who enjoys this job an absolute fucking idiot. If you don't think so, ask them one more question. Who are you voting for? I guarantee you it will be Donald Trump, Agent 1 said. So, if you voted for Trump, the FBI thinks that you're a fucking moron. And they said so. I forgot about Trump. That's so sad and pathetic if they want to vote for him, Agent 5 responded. Someone who can't answer a question. Someone who can't be professional for even a second. Gee, like you guys, Agent 1 and Agent 5? Exactly like you guys? Hmm. In September, Agent 1 and 5 conversed again, bashing Trump supporters as retarded. That's a word that you use. That's a word that if anybody on the uh, right would have used... Just that, just the utilization, the bandying about of that one word, that would that would set a wildfire, just by that one word itself. Another quote: "I'm trying to think of a would I rather instead of spending time with those people." Agent Five said, 
uh, said. Agent 1 asked, stick your tongue in a fan? Agent 5 later wrote, I would rather have brunch with Trump and a bunch of his supporters like the ones from Ohio that are retarded. The report said, the IG report, there were clearly tensions and disagreements in a number of important areas between mid-year agents and prosecutors. However, we did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that improper considerations, including political bias, directly affected the specific investigative decisions the report read. So again, I, I, have, to, I have to translate uh, geek speak and FBI speak for you. And, and, uh, and that's this. Absent a literal smoking gun on a piece of paper or a tape recording of any of these people said, you know what, I did this specifically with the intent to make sure that I was biased, I was completely political, I was judgmental, and my purpose here was to ensure that Hillary Clinton was supported and that Donald John Trump was never elected as as president, unless a piece of paper or a piece of evidence like that exists, and this is the translation for you, the conclusion is that we don't find any evidence because that's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for the smoking gun that says, on January 15th, I screwed the pooch. And this is how I screwed the pooch. First, I pulled out the gel. Then I grabbed the dog. Then I put his rear towards me. That's the kind of evidence that they're saying they don't have. So how? what other conclusion can there be? There is no bias. And it was not done for political purposes whatsoever. Thank God you have me to translate this stuff. Now, remember when Donald John Trump said, hey, Bad people got these emails from Clinton and everybody went, ha, 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 Donald Trump, you lying sack of crap. Well, the inspector general report also proves that foreign actors accessed Hillary Clinton emails. That inspector general report clearly shows that's another thing that I didn't there see coming. of misconduct by the FBI and Justice Department over the Clinton email case. The report puts Director Comey's leadership style under the microscope. With the by the way, this is Catherine Herridge. If you don't read her or listen to her, you're doing yourself a very serious disservice. She's one of a handful of reporters who's actually doing damn good work. Catherine Herridge at Fox and the other reporter that's doing damn good work that you ought to read and listen to is um, Sarah A. Carter. Go to sarahacarter.com. She's another journalist, a real honest-to-God journalist that you should read and listen to. Inspector General exploring whether Comey went beyond his authorities in July 2016 at this event where he publicly discussed the Clinton email investigation and recommended against criminal charges, a responsibility that fell to his boss at the time, Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Comey has since explained that Lynch's Arizona tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton just days before Hillary Clinton's FBI interview for mishandling classified information was a game changer. In addition to other intelligence that he said implied Lynch would not let the email investigation go too far. That intelligence is not public and its reliability unclear. Now, you don't think that had anything to do that Loretta Lynch was involved? No, Loretta Lynch can't, can't be involved. Well, let's get back to the original point. Foreign actors, when Donald Trump said so, foreign actors did in fact 
obtain access to some of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's emails, including at least one email marked secret and classified as secret, according to a new memo from two GOP-led House committees and an internal FBI email. Fox News obtained a memo prepared by the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees, which lays out key interim findings ahead of uh, the IG report that was recently released today. The IG, um, excuse me, the House Committees, which conducted a joint probe into decisions made by the DOJ in 2016 and 17, addressed a range of uh, issues in their memo, including Clinton's email. And security. So just when they were saying that, oh, no, that didn't happen, uh, Hillary Clinton's emails did not get into any bad actor's hands. Once again, that's an abject and bald and naked lie. There's so much more. I, I could easily do another hour on just the stuff that was revealed today. Uh, go read it for yourself. It's absolutely, it's astounding, it's skullduggery, it's a conspiracy, and I I state that it is still continuing to be massively indicative of a soft coup against Americans. You, me, we are Americans, and these deep state actors are working against us, and only for them in D.C. Monsieur has been Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's bye-bye time. It's time for Tata. Thanks for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon right here on the SHR Media Network. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at BZEP, B-Z-E-P. On my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net. And you can send me hate mail, bz at shrmedia.com. My original intro music is by Possessed Tranquility. You can find them at reverbnation.com. Promotional consideration by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and the Boeing Company. If it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. And uh, tiaras are, as per normal, by my little pony. And let's not forget uh, consideration, promotional considerations from the Pratt & Whitney Company. Thrust, you can trust. Thanks to my personal KC-135 Kettle One refueling team with whom I will be consorting in less than an hour. You can bank on that today. Thanks to Tarzana Joe for being in the show the first hour tonight. Thanks, thanks to you and you and you and you and you for listening live. Thank you for being involved in the chat room. Thanks for listening in podcast. God bless. Take care. You be safe. Everybody quiet down now and get some sleep. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing?
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.